Welcome back to the Pesky Report. This is episode 274 of the Pesky Report brought to you by Beyond the Monster. We're going to have some miners talk potentially, but we got a couple things we got to cover first. We're going to talk about the upcoming MLB draft. First things first, though, I got to go to Hunter and get his thoughts on the fact that the minor league teams have been rained out just about all week. Um, so life probably hasn't been going great for Hunter. Uh, what are your thoughts on the amount of uh, bad weather and rainouts and postponements in the minor leagues? Yeah, week? we had uh, we already had a weird week with they didn't have games on Tuesday. Uh, the games got uh, that was just like in the schedule already because they I, I believe it's more because they were moving things back because of uh, July fourth and they wanted to maybe give the players the day off then and then their thought process probably they can reset after the um, the all-star break. Then, you, you know, you give the players the week off and you can go back to having Mondays off. So I already had the Monday, Tuesday off. And then Wednesday, I think there was two games played. And then the next day, another game, I believe because of the, uh, the air quality that there was another game taken out. And then every, every day, it seems like there's at least one game postponed rain, fog, whatever it is. Uh, so yeah, it's been a, uh, it's been a tough week for me when it comes to that. And then we had the whole uh, the, the Twitter fiasco going on right now where you can only view a certain amount of tweets because someone that's running Twitter isn't good at it. Uh, so that's causing me issues with being able to post stuff. So it's been a, it's definitely been a, a strange week for me. Uh, and then add on to all that, Greenville is playing in Asheville this week. Uh, the Greenville Drive, the Red Sox high A team. And Asheville doesn't have a broadcast. So those games were just a wash anyway. That's just me sitting in front of a computer looking at the game cast. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely been uh, a less eventful week for me, which I guess in some senses is nice. I, I got to actually do some things this week. But uh, also baseball is kind of my, my love in life. So, <laughs> so it's been a, a little tough. Uh, still, there were still a lot of highlights, though, that I got to see. You know, Brooks Brandon made a single-A debut, and he ended up hitting a homer this week. Sadon Rafaela jumped to triple a he hit a homer this week so there was there was still some some fun stuff that we got to watch uh just not maybe as as uh eventful as you would you would want yeah uh definitely um for sure i think i think we all can speak that we wish we had more minor league games to talk about but it's not the worst timing uh and draft is coming right around the corner um so why not like there's no better time than now to discuss it I'll go over to Jake first. How Before we talk about specific players and who maybe has been mocked to the Red Sox, who do we think the Red Sox might target, who and when they might target guys, or however stuff might go, what's kind of the overview of this MLB draft? Because obviously the draft is everyone thinks pick for need or you pick for talent, or especially in other drafts. But when it comes to the MLB draft, it's not necessarily always you know pick for need because these guys might not be in the big leagues for a few years. What's that kind of strategy heading into MLB draft for people who may not know? Yeah. So first off, I'll just say like the MLB draft the last couple of years, I've gotten, I've gotten really into it. I would say like, for me, I've always paid some attention to it, but 2021, especially when the Red Sox had the fourth overall pick, I felt like I got, I got really into it and I've continued to, I've, I've really stuck with it. And um, it's one of my favorite times of year. It's one of my favorite, you know, weeks of the year leading up to it. Um, and there's the MLB draft is so unique for a lot of different reasons for when the, when, while you, what you were saying, Derek, the players are, are far away from the big leagues. Most of them, some of these guys might end up uh, being, might end up playing uh, sooner rather than later. A guy, you know, at the top of this upcoming draft, Paul Skeens, the best pitcher in the country from 
uh, from uh, LSU is, is the type of guy who is probably going to end up being in the big leagues, like maybe relatively quickly. He may not even be in the minors at all, but he's an outlier. Like that doesn't really happen very much. And I would say that uh, for the most part, teams should draft the best player available on their board. The, like they, every team, all 30 teams will have a list. They will have a big board. They will have all the players on it. And especially in the first round, um, the goal should always be take the best player on the board uh, that is that you evaluated as the best player that is available to be drafted and not necessarily because of need. Like the example that, you know, we can give here with the Red Sox is we know that the Red Sox, you know, have a need for pitching in their system. They have need for pitching in their entire franchise. But if the best player on the board is not a pitcher, the Red Sox should not reach. Uh, deep down into and 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 make a mistake and take somebody that's lower and that, that goes for every other team whether it's a team doesn't have a shortstop or they don't have a catcher or whatever you take the best player on the board you don't know what's going to happen in the out years you don't know those guys can be available be available for trade or or uh or they end up having to move off to a different position or they get injured or whatever somebody in your system now gets injured or you end up trading them you the best course of action is always just take the best player available and not necessarily worry about your system needs such and such player or such and such, a, such, such and such a, a position to fill. Um, so I think that, and the Red Sox who are going to have the 14th pick in this upcoming draft should absolutely approach it like that. And I would say that most teams should approach it like that. Um, no matter, no matter where they're picking or what they're doing. Yeah. And that's a definitely a big thing. A lot of teams, like you said, Jake, should, they should go for, um, you know, the best player available on their board. Now that might be, uh, what one team might do at 14 might might be different than what the Red Sox are going to do at 14 because the Red Sox board might be different than other teams. The Red Sox could pick someone who's ranked 50th by all outlets, but he might be the top guy on their board, right? Exactly. Teams don't always rank players the same. They don't always rank players the same as different outlets or media or whatever. So don't necessarily worry about rankings. Also, the other thing coming to it, maybe not as big of a deal in the first round in terms of like, most guys who get drafted in the first round do sign, but signability can also be a big thing. Or also, yeah. too, if a team needs to go under slot because they're planning on going over slot, or if they're going over slot for a guy, which now at some point in the draft now, which means eventually they'll need to go under slot later, all that stuff. So I think eventually. I think we might need to level set a little bit on some of this, some of yes. the conversations. Because I would assume that most people that are listening to this know the like underslot, overslot, that kind yes. of thing. But let's just kind of set the scene a little bit. Every team has a a, a bonus pool. They have a, an amount of money that they're allowed to spend on the, on uh, all of their draft picks. The MLB draft is twenty rounds. Most teams have around to have twenty picks. Some have fewer. Some have more because of compensation or they lost compensation. Some teams have what's called competitive balance picks. If they're, if they're in the sort of lower, um, uh, lower revenue bracket, they're a revenue receipt revenue sharing, receiving teams. They're allowed to trade those picks. Actually, you can't, um, uh, those picks can be traded, but no other picks in the MLB draft can be traded, which I just need to just say this really quickly. It really bothers me that in this new CBA, they didn't put in the ability to trade draft picks because it seemed apparently the owners didn't care and the players didn't care but I care. And I think that fans care. It would be so much more fun. And you would be able to avoid a lot of the shenanigans that I'm sort of about to talk about, which is the yeah. fact that the bonus pools are set at a certain number. And uh, that means that that's, you can go over your allotted bonus pool, but only by, by a 5% before you incur 
penalties in terms of draft picks and, and losing, losing bonus money in the future and that kind of thing. So um, you have to, you, you draft the, the players in the first, the first 10 rounds. Now to be clear after the, t- after the 10th round um, it, the bonuses only count against the bonus pool. If you sign for more than at this, in this CBA, now it's $150,000. So that, so you sign those guys after the 10th round, you don't have to worry about it. You sign them for $150,000 or under, it doesn't count towards the bonus pool, but whatever you spend in the first 10 rounds does count against the bonus pool. And um, so you see there's, there's this chicanery, honestly, that happens where you see guys that get drafted in the first 10 rounds, usually the latter half, like between rounds five and 10, where you're like, well, that guy's a college senior who's ranked like 570th by Baseball American. I don't know who that is. Or this guy's this guy had Tommy John surgery last year. And he hasn't pitched or whatever. Um, those guys end up signing for way under their bonus slot, and then the teams reallocate that money to guys who um, who are potentially harder signs, and the signability is is an issue with especially guys that are going from high school to college. Um, and it's, it's pretty rare to see a, a high school to, to see a college junior not sign and then go back to school. It did happen to the Red Sox a couple of years ago, Judd Fabian, the Red Sox picked him out of the university of Florida. He had been promised a $3 million bonus by the Orioles at the next pick. Uh, he, he was mad about that. He, the Red Sox offered him, I think somewhere around two, 2.1 million. He turned it down. He went back to Florida for another year. And eventually he did actually get drafted by the Orioles last year, which is kind of funny. Um, and then he's actually, I, I haven't checked recently, but he's actually, I think he's been doing pretty well. Um, he, he killed the, the Red Sox in a series. <laughs> uh, that sounds point. about right. And I was, I was like, this is unsurprising that he would do this, but <laughs> they yeah, were, he's been, he's been yeah. very solid. Uh, he was really good last year. This year he's hitting slashing 271, 378, uh, 496, I believe. Uh, yeah. He's got 13 homers and 21 steals. He's, he's a, the, he's good. Yeah. Good prospect. He's yeah. Better than I, better, honestly, than I would have expected. I thought that, you know, it was a mistake for him to, to leave that money on the table and go back to school, but he did. And he did leave money on the table. He didn't get 3 million from the, I don't know what the bonus was he got from the Orioles, but anyway. And the, the issue is, so what Derek brought up about signability. So you draft a guy, you, you want to, you want to sign him for whatever number it is you can get him for. If you don't sign him, you fail to sign him. It's a, it's a, Good news, bad news situation. The good news is, is that I believe in the first 10 rounds or uh, it's not the entire draft. I think it's the first 10 rounds. You get the next, you get a, a compensation pick the next year. That's one pick after that pick. So for example, the Red Sox didn't sign Judd Fabian. They, they, that was the 40th pick in 2021. The Red Sox got the 41st pick the next year as compensation, which they used to sign to, to, to draft cutter coffee. Um, so that's the good news. The bad news, though, is that you automatically lose that slot money that year for that player. So the Judd Fabian slot, I believe, was one point eight million dollars. That they the Red Sox could not reallocate that money to other to other players. They lost that money from their draft draft bonus, and they couldn't use it to sign somebody else. Maybe that they picked in the last ten picks um, that maybe they could have signed otherwise. So. It is a catch 22. You have to have some semblance and some sense of, is this player going to sign? Usually the advisors 
we say quote unquote advisors. That's it's basically the agents. They're not allowed to be called agents. It's, 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 you know, Scott Boris like does it for a lot of these guys and the other yes. agents do this, but they're called advisors. The advisors talk to the teams. They tell them, Hey, like this guy's going to go to college. Like, you know, you're going to have to like, he, th- he has a number in mind. And if you're not going to like meet this number or come close to it, then we have nothing to talk about. So um, very important to note that that is different from other leagues. Um, and the Red Sox, like I said, last season, I, last year, I'm just using this as an example. They spent picks six, seven, eight, and 10 on guys who were pitchers who they could sign for way under draft slot. One of them was Isaac coffee, who we talk about a lot on, on this show. Um, the other, th- he was a junior. The other three were, were senior pitchers. One of whom we talked about last week, Caleb Bolden. Another one we're going to talk about, I think later on, uh, Jonathan Brand. Um, they, uh, were able to, they signed those guys for way under what their recommended slot bonus was. And they were able to use that money to give way over slot bonuses to Roman Anthony and Brooks Brandon, not, and also they went a little bit under slot for both Mikey Romero and Cutter coffee as well. So that's the strategy and the Red Sox could have, and we're going to talk more about Red Sox strategy. But that is a strategy that could be employed that uh, yes. where or, or they could play it straight, which is more of what they did in the 2021 draft. But anyway, so I've been yeah. I've, I've been as you guys can tell, I <laughs> love talking about the MLB draft. I it, it's it doesn't get enough attention. And I understand why it doesn't get as much attention. The, the guys are so far from the big leagues. Amateur baseball is not like a huge deal. People will watch the College World Series a bit, but they're not paying attention to it the way that people pay attention to college basketball and college football. Uh but it's fun, and it's and uh, and we have no idea. And the other the other great thing is that we have no idea what's going to happen, especially at the top of this draft, which is really exciting. Yes, exactly. And the reason I did bring up the kind of signing of the Overslot is because we have seen the Red Sox go that way in the past, and I think it is a thing to keep in mind, especially from the Red Sox point, because they've gone Overslot in like I think it was in the third round for Blaze Short in 2020. They went Overslot for mm-hmm. Roman Anthony last year, so they have a little bit of a history under Heimblum of doing that. Um, the other thing I'll note, Red Sox, their day one picks, they had the 14th pick and the 50th pick. Um, and then a little bit, we go kind of recently first round California shortstops, high school mm-hmm. shorts. That's everyone wants to talk about it. Um, but at the same time, you look at those guys, I know Mikey Romero hasn't played an A ball yet, but in low A, yeah, he's been playing in the FCL because of his injury, but I mean, Marcelo Meyer and Nick York, they've turned out pretty all right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. how much are we really complaining? Um, and then I, I I think too we saw a little bit last year where the kind of mid rounds they do take a lot of the they take a lot of college pitchers in the mid rounds I think that was kind of a theme last year um, taking a lot of college pitchers juniors but mostly seniors coming out of college who aren't going to sign for much um, and taking those guys in the mid rounds I think that was kind yeah. of a theme that we saw last year and then heading into this year I think we say talking about the first round pick which we'll get to at some point you know. I think the theme is this thing. The thought is this year, the Red Sox are either going to be targeting a bat in the first round, whether it's a college bat, which seems more likely, but they might go high school or they'll take a starter, whether it's Dollander or Waldrop, if they're at the top of their board, which we don't know what their board looks like. So it's all just predicting at this point in time. I, and I would say, you know, uh, there's, there's obviously there's three, there's four groups of, of players. There's college hitters, college pitchers, high school hitters, high school pitchers. I feel pretty confident in saying the Red Sox will not be taking a high school pitcher in the first round. That's just, that has not been their MO. They don't do it. That was, that was, that was Dave Dombrowski's MO. That was, that is not the Red Sox current Heimblum. Yeah. Brian O'Halloran, Paul Taboni, Devin Pearson is not their, their. Was the last one Jay Groom? 
Jay Groom was the last high school pitcher that they took in the first round. And you can see the results of that. Now, now it doesn't necessarily mean that taking a high school pitcher in the first round is a bad thing. There are a lot of high school pitchers that were taken in the first round that have turned out really well. Clayton Kershaw is, was one of them. Um, there's others that aren't necessarily coming to mind for me right now, but uh, you know, I think that so Garrett Cole was drafted by the Yankees in the first round. He as a, as a high school pitcher, he did not sign. He went to UCLA and then the pirates drafted him and, and he signed with them. But, We've seen what kind of career Garrett Cole's had. Um, so it is possible to to draft a high school pitch. And, you know, and to to Dave Dombrowski's credit, he took, you know, Andrew Painter is, is dealing with coming back from an injury right now, but he's a high school pitcher that, that the Phillies took. who was turned out to be a really good pitcher. Um, but I know that there's a lot of interest, especially in a, a local high school prospect in Massachusetts and Thomas White uh, from Phillips Academy and next 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 uh, town over from me in Andover, Mass. He also grew up in Rowley, Mass, uh, which is in, in, in roughly also the area that I live. Um, and he's a Red Sox fan and grew up a, a lifelong Red Sox fan. There's a great article. I would encourage people to go read it in the Boston Globe written by Matt Porter, who usually covers the Bruins for the Globe. Uh, profile about Thomas White and his life and his career. Really interesting piece. And he's, and it's a great story. Uh, Thomas White, I think has the opportunity to be the highest drafted um, high school kid ever from to ever come out of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, which is really exciting for him. I don't think there's any chance the Red Sox will take him. Um, it's just, it's, it's very risky. And also we're talking about signability. Thomas White has a very strong commitment to go to and play for Tim Corbin at Vanderbilt. So yep. um, there's that that's, the, you know, that's a whole other ball of wax. But I think um, I would definitely rank it and say that the Red Sox feel like, based off of the intel that we've we've seen, it feels like if you were to rank it, I would say college hitter might be the most likely for the 14th pick, high school hitter probably next, and then college pitcher possibly. Um, and and the college ca- pitcher more so depends on who's taken before them, though. Exactly. And I, I the the only the last thing I'll just say is like again we're gonna t- we're gonna get into some names here. I would just say again. Take it with a grain of salt. We're just we're going based off of the going off based off of the mock drafts, off of some of the the reporting and and, and that's things that have come out from people like Keith Law from the Athletic and Kylie McDaniel from ESPN and uh, Carlos Colazzo at at Baseball America, Joe Doyle who's with Future Star Series. These are great writers who have great access and great sources, but they don't really know a hundred percent. And I I was I wanted to make sure I mentioned this because people have said that. Um, people saw that the Mikey Romero or they didn't see the Mikey Romero pick. It came out of nowhere. And a couple of days before the draft, right leading up to the draft, Carlos Colazzo had in one of his, in one of his last mock drafts that the Red Sox were targeting Mikey Romero more likely with the, their second pick. And obviously they ended up taking him with their first pick. Uh, Carlos also had that they were on Roman Anthony. So I would say that this week, if you see stuff from Carlos, <laughs> who is one of the absolute best prospect writers and, and best people uh, writing on these subjects out there. Uh, and if he's talking about Red Sox stuff, I would say pay attention because he's got, he has a good line as to what's going on with them. Which um, is impressive when it comes to Heim Bloom because he doesn't exactly. let anything out. <laughs> exactly. So so we're we're speculating names. The names that we talk about today, it do, do not be surprised at all if we're sitting here and, you know, we're going to be doing probably a draft recap. It wouldn't be next week, but it will probably, we'll probably talk about it some the week after. Um you know, if if the names that get pulled are, na- are names that we don't talk about at all today, it just wouldn't. It, it's just how it goes. But it, but what fun would it be to not speculate? That's my question. That's that's, that's the fun part about it, though. That's what makes it fun. That's yeah. that's why people do mock drafts. You don't do mock drafts because you know where everyone's going. Exactly right. 
what's the, what would be the point of doing a mock draft then? Yeah, you got to do it. And and again, I just to plug myself a little bit, people have seen on Twitter that I've kept pretty extensive track of the mock drafts of who the Red Sox, who have been, who's been mocked to the Red Sox, uh, especially since the beginning of May. And then also who ha, who has been mocked in the picks around where the Red Sox are picking. And it's just for informational purposes only. It's just, here's, here's who's being, here's who the industry thinks the Red Sox are interested in and who here's who could be available around the time the Red Sox have their, fir- their, uh, their first pick um, in the middle of the first round. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a great kind of transition to jump straight into it. Uh, I think the first guy we should talk about is the guy who's been mocked to go to the Red Sox the most. I think he's also been mocked to go in the teens the most out of anyone as well, um, out of all the graphics you've put out there, Jake, about this. Um, Matt Shaw, he's been the most mocked guy. He's a shortstop. Shocker. Um, (laughs) But he's a shortstop out of the University of Maryland. Same school Brandon Lau went to. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. there's necessarily a connection because of Heim Bloom, who's great. But I'm just saying that they've produced a successful infielder somewhat recently. So there's that. Um, You know, one of the best college hitters in the draft class. Um, And if you look at his hit tools, 55 hit, 55 power, is a 60 run, 45 field, and 45 arm and 50 field. Um, and he's ranked 16th on MLB Pipeline. Um, I'll go straight to you, Jake. What are your thoughts on Matt Schaaf? The Red Sox should take him. How do you feel about him? Um, what would you think if the Red Sox did take him? I would. I mean, I'd be thrilled if they took him. I, I think that that if if uh, Matt Shaw is the pick, then that tells me that they think he's a big leaguer and somebody who can help them uh, right away. He's been uh, one of the more consistent hitters in the nation, uh, not just this year, but last year too. He is a he's a middle in like there's a difference between him and some of the other middle infield prospects that the Red Sox have taken the last couple of years, which is that he ha- because of the fact that he's a college guy and he's old he's a little bit older so he his he's a little bit more filled out in his body and he is he's an actual power hitter like um and he's not just this like you know sinewy like you know wiry middle infield type like he is built. And he is, he's, he is, uh, he hits the ball incredibly hard. The exit, the, what you, I, we, we haven't, we don't have access to the stuff, but we, we, you can read this from the people that do have access to it, which is that the exit velocity numbers, the hard hit stuff are, are kind of, are really off the charts for Shaw in terms of his, in terms of what he can do putting the bat on the ball. Um, I think that the, you know, the, the big knock on him is that he probably almost certainly will not be a shortstop long term. He is, but he does appear that he will be athletic enough and and have enough uh, have enough uh, defensive ability to be a, to be a second baseman and potentially a very good second baseman. So that's that's really the one knock on him. And then it, and then I think it's it's worth mentioning because we talked about Thomas White as well that uh, Matt Shaw is a native of Brimfield, Massachusetts. So it there that's an added bonus. It'll be a, it would be a really potentially very cool story. Um, and Brimfield is kind of in the center, the middle of the state, um, you know, middle west of the state. Um, and I, I would be thrilled if, if, if uh, they got Matt Shaw. And it's just been, he has just, again, been the most consistently linked name to the Red Sox uh, throughout the, this whole pre-draft mock draft process. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's had a really good year so far this year in college. I mean, this year in college, he played 62 games. He had a four, uh, 14, she's 1142 OPS, uh, yeah. 14. It would have been a little while, uh, 1142 <laughs> OPS. Yeah, um, he had 20 doubles and 24 home runs. Um, he also stole 18 bases. Um, and then I think another 
Very nice thing to see. 43 walks to only 42 strikeouts. Yeah. Just great contact ability. Exactly. And he does hit for power too. It's not Mm -hmm. a guy who's only going to be singles doubles. He can drive the ball out of the ballpark too, which is, which is very nice to have. Will he stick at shorts up? That's probably the question. I think a lot of people think second base, especially arm strength is a little fringy. Um, but at the same time, if you can play short stuff, pretty much can play anywhere for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's another reason why the Red Sox have targeted shortstops. If you're athletic enough to play shortstop, you can kind of go anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And again, yeah, you can't. Well, Hunter, I'll, I'll let you jump in just on the, on that topic about drafting uh, drafting middle infielders when maybe yeah, you I think maybe you don't necessarily need them. Yeah, I think that that's something that a lot of Red Sox fans, especially, have, have mentioned because of how common them taking shortstops has been and that's that's I, I believe we talked about this a couple of times and i'm sorry if we've talked about it today the full disclosure the uh, red sox minor league games are being played uh <laughs> today which usually doesn't happen when we record uh and your donnie monegro and shane drohan are pitching so there's hunters there's a, hunters are i and hunter is is, <laughs> is setting picks for us he's our eye in the sky during this draft conversation he's um, got he's got he's got multiple hats to wear yes, so we, yes, we appreciate uh, it and Shane Drohan just did did just strike out the side in the second Sweet. inning. So, um, but uh, and I'm I, like I've said, I'm, I know we've definitely talked about this previously. Uh, and as Jake was just, or I'm sorry, as Derek was just saying, uh, if you can play shortstop, you can play anywhere. So that's something that like the the most athletic players, especially like in high school, they're playing. They're usually playing shortstop or maybe like maybe center field. But it, it's the best player. Like growing up, it was always the best player on the field was playing shortstop. Uh, so it's one of those things where it's more, you draft those kids. And then if they're not a shortstop, you, you can, you have confidence that their athletic ability will translate to other positions. Uh, and I think with the case of, of Matt Shaw, I think it would work very well for the Red Sox because they have Marcelo Meyer and he's seen as their, their shortstop of the next 15 years. So you don't like, uh, and obviously you, you can't just say, well, we have him in double A, so he's clearly going to work out. But yeah. in their long-term plan, he is their plan at shortstop. So Matt Shaw is someone that you can move to second base. You can move to another position and you have this right-handed power bat, which would be a beautiful compliment to Marcelo Meyer's left-handed power bat. Um, it would kind of give you not, not saying that they will have these careers, but it would kind of be like the, the Manny Ortiz combo of you have this right handed hitter, this left handed hitter yeah. that, that uh, teams are terrified of. And I know obviously we're jumping very far ahead, naming someone that's in double A and someone that hasn't even been drafted yet. But uh, it, it's there is that nice uh, ability with a shortstop that you draft them and then you can figure out where they go a lot more often than you can draft. You know, if you're taking an outfielder, there's a strong chance that guy's not transitioning to shortstop. Whereas a no. shortstop can transition to a different, you know, you're, if you're drafting a first baseman, he's probably a first baseman. So that, that gives you a lot more flexibility with what you do with them after the draft. Yeah. I think that th- that's just clear. Like the best athletes are, are shortstops are the best athletes and they're going to be able to be flexible. Like I guarantee you that the Red Sox, whether it's their first pick or somewhere in their first like five picks, they will be taking guys who this at least this past year their primary position was shortstop, and inevitably people they're, we're going to see people saying, "Wow, they have Meyer like what?" And they have all these other shortstops. Why do they need to take another shortstop? It's like, yeah, they're taking a shortstop because they're the best athlete. And yeah, and I agree with what one something you said, Hunter, which is like in in order for me to like justify like 
spending an early pick on somebody who's a first baseman. Like they have to be very special. I know the yeah. Red Sox did this under Dombrowski with taking Tristan Costas, and we've seen that he's turned into a big leaguer, and that's great. Um, but like you know, Tristan Costas also played some third base in high school too. Like yeah. he was originally actually announced as a third baseman, but everybody knew that was ridiculous. Well, Torkelson was... was announced as a third baseman. Right. But... Torkelson. Yeah. They, like teams do this. Like they don't want you to think like they're, we're drafting it for like Torkelson was far and away the best player in that draft. That was the other thing. But like, um, yeah, you, you, you want, you want athletes. Like you want, if you're drafting young guys, you want athletes and the guys yeah. that are the best are the shortstops. And, Ultimately, again, they will, they will, the Red Sox will be taking shortstops in this draft. There's not any question about that. Um, the question is just who, where a guy like, a guy like Matt Shaw has a potential to move pretty quickly. And he maybe would, you know, I, I, I don't think he would like it's, this is going to be interesting to see what the Red Sox do with this, because if they do take a, if they do take a, a college hitter in the first round, it will be very interesting to see where they end up placing them out of the draft. Um, because I think that it would, you probably would put them in Salem is my guess. Like, cause what, what used to happen is that they would take college guys in the early picks and they would put them in Lowell. Like that's where the, that's where the college guys would go is that they, they would go to Lowell and the high school guys would go to, go to the complex league, which back, back then used to be called the, it's called the, what was it called? It wasn't called the Florida Con. It was just like the Florida. It was like the Gulf Coast. I, League, I just called it rookie ball, anyways. Rookie yeah, ball. I always, I always just called it rookie ball. But yeah, I think it was the Gulf Coast League. That but ne- right. but now, like Gulf, you know, the FCL is overrun with with players. Like it's like they have, you know, mul- they have to split it up into multiple teams, and then and now, so you have to decide where you're going to put these guys. I guess maybe a college hitter would go to Salem. But I can't imagine that they would stay there very long. It might not even be useful useful for them. They might go right to Greenville potentially, depending on how advanced the guy is. He could possibly go right to Double A. Like we're, I don't know how much we're going to get into other people at the, in the draft, but like you know, Dylan Cruz or Wyatt Langford, who are guys that are talked about going in the first three picks, they may end up going right to Double A potentially. Um, but but I but I guess what I'm saying is I'm going to be very fascinated. To see. And then the other thing that's 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 interesting is. For the Red Sox, we have not seen the Red Sox take a college hitter in the first round in a long time. In 2019, their first pick was Cam Cannon, but he was a second round pick. You have to go back to Andrew Benintendi in 2015 was the last time the Red Sox took a college hitter with a first round pick. That's a long time ago. That's kind of kind of wild to think about. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, 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 I we've been talking about Matt Shaw, you know, different things with shortstops now. I'll bring up some other names that are shortstops, especially college shortstops. Expect to go around that range. I really like Jacob Wilson out of Grand Canyon. Um, a lot of people I think will go before the Red Sox, but I've also seen some people have him going after the Red Sox. So he's a guy where it's a little iffy. I've seen him mock to the Red Sox once. I think it was at the end of yeah. May by ESPN. Um, Tommy yeah. Torres from Stanford too is another well, guy too. Can we? Sorry, can we just like double click on on? Jacob Wilson a little bit. I think Jacob Wilson yes. is a fantastic prospect. Um, I people have probably noticed on Twitter that there are two there are two hitters, and maybe we're going to talk about the other one who's not a shortstop in college that I'm a little bit lukewarm on for a few different reasons. One of them is is Jacob Wilson. So Jacob Wilson's dad was Jack Wilson, who was a longtime shortstop. He spent a lot of time in with the, with the Pirates. Uh, Jacob Wilson is very talented. Jacob Wilson could come in. And I made this joke about after some of the issues the Red Sox have had at shortstop is that they could they should draft Jacob Wilson and 
and bring him to Fenway and have him start in the first game after the all after the all-star break because of how desperate they are for shortstop. J- Jacob Wilson is a tremendous defensive shorts shortstop. He also is like a 65 hit tool. He struck out yes. like I have the let me pull it up. I just had it in front of me. He struck out seven times in 275 plate appearances in the, in, for playing for, for Grand Canyon University this year. Incredible bat control, incredible contact ability. The problem with him is that he has a very flat swing, and I don't know that he he may never hit more than four or five homers in a season. Um, hate doing comps. I don't like doing comps, but I'm going to do a comp. He makes me think a lot of Nick Madrigal. Um, now, Nick Madrigal is a big leaguer. That's great. But I don't know about taking a guy who's going to be the next Nick Madrigal when there maybe are guys that have a higher ceiling that are still on the board. Jacob Wilson has a low floor, and he will be a big leaguer. I guarantee you he will be. But I just want somebody who has potentially a little bit more of a ceiling. That's all. That's yeah, I, I think they, I think if they take him, it all depends on how much they believe in his ability to develop power, which we'll see if they do yeah. um if he's there at their pick i think it also depends on how much they value his defense at the same time um right. because he, he's a guy who can be a big league shortstop at some point it's just like no how question. much power he's gonna hit for that's kind yeah. of the big question mm-hmm. um because yeah might hit 300 you might also give you two home runs right that's <laughs> kind of you know it, it's not a bad player but it's no, a guy I, who you're looking for more upside in the first round exactly my point and that's so exactly. you, you mentioned Tommy Troy a little bit and I'll, I'll, I'll talk, I'll, I'll take Tommy Troy. So like he, I kind of view him as a little bit of a, like a tick below Matt Shaw in like across the board, like makes consistent hard contact, has a lot of power potential, maybe not quite as much. He's also probably a second baseman going forward. He also played quite, uh, saw some time um, at third base, uh, and second base in the outfield for Stanford, I believe in this past year, he's like a little bit slower than, than Matt Shaw. Also. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Tommy Troy. I'm a fan of, honestly, I am a fan of all these guys we're going to talk about. The Red Sox are in a, a great spot this year. That's another, like we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but like picking 14th in this year and this draft is a great spot to be because this is a deep draft. There are five guys at the top of this draft that could go number one any other year. And so that means that a lot of other talent gets pushed down further. And the Red Sox are in a position if somebody somebody who's a really good talent could fall further to them. Uh, but these are guys who we're thinking realistically are going to be there. So Tommy Troy is one of them. Jack will or Jack. Yes, please let Rhett Louder Jacob drop Wilson. 14, please. Yeah. Well, let's <laughs> I want to talk about the pitchers after we kind of finish talking about some of the first round hitters. But like but Tommy Troy would be he is a he hits the ball very hard. And he is an exciting player. And I would love it if they drafted him. It was, it's a lot of the stuff. Like if they drafted him and Shaw was still on the board, I wouldn't be that upset because that would tell me that the Red Sox feel like Troy is going to be a better big leader, which would excite me if that is what happens. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know, Jake, if you want to talk about any more shortstops on the board. Um, I know there's some um, high school shortstops. Yeah, the there, are, there are no other like other than that. Like, I don't know if Jacob Gonzalez from Old Miss will last to 14. He could be on the board. He's another good one. But um, we can talk a little bit about a couple of the high school shortstops. Um, I'll, I'll bring up uh, Colin Houck from uh, from Georgia. He's a high school shortstop. He was a two sport star. He played football and baseball. He's focused on baseball going forward. Um, he's got plus raw power. There's a little bit of swing and miss in his game. 
Um, he's athletic enough to be a shortstop, but he may eventually have to move to third base. So he's a name to watch. He was, he's been mocked to the Red Sox a couple times. He got mocked to them, uh, in the middle of, uh, like just a couple weeks ago by MLB pipeline. Um, so he's one to Same watch. High school as Matt Olson. Yeah. So there you go. It, it, sometimes these, these, it does matter. Like sometimes these schools do, 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 uh, put out really interesting players. Um, a guy that was mocked to the Red Sox today was Colt Emerson from John Glenn High School in Ohio. Um, he is a young guy. He's only going to be, he doesn't turn 18 until until later this month. He is like a hit first. He is, is a very strong hit tool. So that's definitely something that could appeal to the Red Sox. Um, he has great command of the strike zone, like kind of a preternatural like ability to, to, uh, to command the strike zone. And he should end up having really good power. Not clear if he's going to stay at shortstop. He would should be a good defender at second or third. Um, the only other shortstop from high school that I wanted to mention is Arjun Namala from uh, Strawberry Crest High School in Florida. And um, he's going to appeal to teams because he's even younger than Colt Emerson. He doesn't turn 18 until October. A lot of teams value guys as young as they can be in the draft because it just it, it helps them project out more yeah, what they're gives you more be. time to work with them and gives yeah. you more time to work with them. They, you know, the guy might not, you know, you're going to get maybe the best years of his career just by having him younger. So um, he is a really good athlete. He will definitely stick at shortstop. Um, he has a lot of raw power hit tool, maybe not as far along as some others. Um, there's more swing in this in his game than maybe the, the team like the Red Sox would like, but definitely a super talented kid. Um, so those are the shortstops that, um, I think we have to maybe consider. And then um, I guess maybe there's actually one other that I'll just mention. And it's kind of somebody who's maybe more of a later, later first round possibility that could be like a haircut that maybe the Red Sox would take with. And when I say haircut again, that's somebody who would sign for under slot. And that's uh, Kevin McGonigal from, from uh, Monsignor Bonner high school in Pennsylvania um, who is, you know, kind of a, a carbon copy of like a Mikey Romero, like somebody or like a, like a, a left-handed Nick York, just like high school shortstop plus hit tool, um, projectable body, like that kind of thing is. And so that's somebody that you might see uh, potentially also in that spot. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and, you know, shortstops are great and all, but a little bit shortstop, a lot of shortstop talk. I think it's time to maybe move away from shortstop for a little bit. Cause there is a guy who, I've been on since freshman year in college. I'm hope I've been hoping and dreaming. I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if the Red Sox do. I don't know if he's necessarily fit for the Red Sox. Red Sox love him. Um, but I'm talking about Enrique Bradfield Jr. I don't know if he's a fit for what the Red Sox want. However, he's a guy. I know he's probably, you know, a guy who, yes, not going to hit for a ton of power, most likely. But speed kills. I mean, we're seeing it with Jaron Duran in the big leagues now. Speed does kill. He's got speed for days. A um, little bit of a wor- I think he had a little bit of a worse year this year than he had last year, which yeah. is somewhat concerning. But at the same yeah. time, if you know, if you're a team who isn't, especially like if you're the Red Sox and you're not concerned about his down year, then he's maybe a guy you jump on if he's there. Um, if if he's at the top of their board, um, definitely um, because he's got. I mean, speed kills. That's literally. You can't turn if he's at the top of your board and you're looking at him and you go, Does he is he a shortstop? No, is he limited to outfield? Yes, because he throws left handed and he's right. too athletic to play first, but you're not gonna put him at first base, right? No, but if we're talking about speed and defense and the fact that and and you're looking maybe you're kind of prototypical leadoff hitter, I mean, he is that guy, 
right? How many of those guys do the Red Sox have in their system? That's your prototypical leadoff hitter. Now that's more of like a, now we're not drafting for need, but in terms of just things that's nice to have, yes, he's not never going to hit third in the lineup, never going to hit fourth. If yeah. you're looking for a t- prototypical leadoff guy, he could be that kind of guy. And if he's at the top of your board, might not be might not be bad pick at all. Um, I just wish he would have had a little bit of a better year. But if he had a better year, he probably would be going in the top 10. So probably wouldn't be at the Red Sox pick anyways if he was, had a better year. Yeah, so I mentioned before about Jacob Wilson as being one guy that I had reservations about in the top 15 potential picks. Like Enrique Bradfield is the other one. Um, I So you're 100% dead on about his speed. He's like an 80 runner. And his defense in center field, he's like an 80 defender. We talk about this with Sedan Rafaela a lot, how he could come up and play center field in, with the, in MLB right now. I actually think Enrique Bradfield could probably play center field in MLB yeah. right now. And he could run the bases. Uh, he could be a, a pinch runner, a base runner in MLB right now. And we're, and as long as the sort of pickoff rules are in place and the, we have the larger bases, whatever, a guy like Enrique Bradfield is going to have more value because of what he can do on the bases. Where I net out on Bradfield is this. If you as a franchise believe in your ability to take a guy like Bradfield and turn him into a big league hitter, then you should take him and and work with him and try to and try to work with him to be the best hitter he can be to hit MLB pitching. Because if he can hit MLB pitching with his other tools, he is a multi-year superstar all-star potential MVP candidate type player. He is that talented, but you have to really trust your evaluation of that player and believe that, that you can turn him into that guy because he is not that guy right now. And I have doubts that he can become that guy. But again, we're talking about who is like a complete player with a, with more of a, more of a ceiling like that. Like ceiling is not really the, the issue with Bradfield is not necessarily the ceiling because he has a ceiling that he could get to. That is incredible. Um, I just think it's very boomer bust for me, for him. Yes. He's either. And I think, and I get like Jacob Wilson, I think Enrique Bradfield is a big leaguer. The worst thing, the worst thing that happens with him is he's a fourth outfielder, fifth outfielder type. He, you know, the same thing we talk about with Sedan Raffaello, that maybe he's just a, a fourth or fifth outfielder at the end of the day, because he can't hit as well. Enrique Bradfield probably will be a big leaguer. But again, if we're, we're picking in the top 15 picks of a, of a very deep draft. I want somebody that's going to be that I know is going to get like I quote unquote no nobody knows we don't know about any of this. no one knows like, we just we think Paul we know. Skeens could pitch could throw zero pitches in the in the major leagues like Dylan Cruz could hit one forty for the next ten years in the minors and never never make the big leagues do I think that's going to happen not really but I just think like we don't know what's going to happen with any of these guys but I just I feel like Bradfield there's too many questions about his ability to hit higher level pitching as, as talented and as good as I think he is. Yeah. And I think it all comes down to what you believe you can do in your player development as a team with him. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause like if you believe in your player development, which I mean, I have faith in the right size player development as of now with how much, how well Absolutely. it seems they've been doing. Yeah. Like if he's at the top, near the top of their board or at the top of their board, at their pick, like if they t- took him, I'd look at it and go, they have a plan for him. Right. Yeah. If they don't take him, it'd be like, yeah, they didn't take him for a reason, obviously, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think that's the thing. Like, you can see the reasons why you would take him and why you wouldn't take him. There's other, a lot of guys in the draft. If you're if the Red Sox pick a certain guy, a lot of guys in the draft, like, oh, you know what? I see why they're picking him. Yes. There's a lot of guys, right. too, they pass up, and it's like, 
see why they passed up on him. Yeah, and and we're going to talk about this with the pitching in a little bit, I think. But like the way that the Red Sox have approached the pitching is that they've they, in the draft is that they've usually taken guys that have not been as like heralded, and they because they can identify and say, okay, like Dalton Rogers, like there's things about him as a reliever that we think is going to make him into a starter. Um, and they have, and he's been pretty good so far as a starter. Um, and they can also save money. They can also save money. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's part it. of the, that's part of the under slot process of you're not going to spend top dollar for that. And it's the same thing with any of these guys that they take, like uh, even in the first round, they're going to be like, okay, like we're, we, we see what this guy's going to be in. And, um, and yeah, so I, I, if they took Bradfield first, it would tell me they believe that he's going to be a star. And we're going to talk about that with the pitching too, in terms of who might be there. But, um, so you brought up Bradfield, I'll just bring up quickly, uh, you know, if we're talking about non, there's not a lot of other outfielders, uh, at this point in the draft that the Red Sox might think about taking all early. <laughs> yeah. Like, so Braden Taylor, who's a, a third, third baseman for TCU. Um, he may not be there, uh, when the Red Sox pick at 14, he is a, a lefty uh, power-hitting third baseman from TCU. He has a, a really pretty left-handed swing. He generates really great contact. More power this year than he had uh, shown previously. He's not a great runner. He should stick at third base. Again, I know we know the Red Sox have a third baseman locked up for the next 10 years. That's not a reason not to take Braden Taylor if he's the best player on the board. Just going to just blanket yes. just saying that. Um, he just he also, interestingly enough, he just turned 21, which makes him young for a college hitter, which is, again, that's something that uh, appeals lost. to appeals to a lot of teams. Um, it would, in my opinion, it would be a mild surprise if he's there at 14. I've heard I've seen some mocks of him going as high as sixth. So I don't know that we would see Braden Taylor, but he's one of the better college hitters. And it would be really interesting if he's uh, if he got to the Red Sox, if they would take him. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the, the one thing with this draft is just there's so much unpredictability because you would think, oh, the Pirates at the one are going to take Skeens or they're going to take Cruz. And it's like, but are they right? Like, right. that's that's the thing. It's like, but are they going to? And then you get after like the top five. Everyone thinks they have a clear. There's a clear top five. Whether all those guys go top yeah. five, that's. Oh, that's a, it's that's become, also it's becoming increasingly less clear that the, the yes, five it's becoming is becoming more be, and more murky. It's getting um, a lot. It's, it's going to continue to get more murky over the course of we're recording this Monday. You'll hear this Wednesday over the next few days. We're not going to know. We are not going to know anything until the, like I'm telling you, if you like drama, you like baseball, you like all these things. If you're free next Sunday night, watch the draft. It's going to be. Like, get your popcorn ready. It's going to be nuts, honestly. It's going to be completely crazy. Uh, the first when round. Kumar Rocker went third last year, I was like, that what the, uh, going, I was like, my, what the hell is going even, on? even when you think Blue you know what's going to happen, like you're yeah. 100% sure this is happening, it, it something happens. It's like, yeah, Kumar Rocker's literally, not going literally, to the top could, 10 yeah. again. Like, yeah, what? you could talk about Rocker, you could talk about the Red Sox getting Meyer at, at four. Like, yeah, you would have told like, someone that before the draft. They would have called you crazy. They would, even one like, or two. When... Even before the third, because like the Pirates kept it so tight. It was not until right before they made the pick that Jim Callis broke that they were taking Henry Davis first. And then even then it was like, okay, well, the Rangers will probably take lighter. I remember that was the thought. And they did. Yeah. And then it was like, well, there's no way that the Tigers aren't going to take Meyer. Meyer's right there. And they've been they've been linked to him the whole time. Even if he falls, there's no way he's going to fall lower than lower than third. And then they made their pre tires are taking Jackson, Jackson Job, which still yikes. Um, and then it was just like, oh my god, how is is how is this is this li- is this real? Like, 
I don't think we're going to get anything like that with the Red Sox picking Which, at four at fourteen. But like, I, I really could see hope... it with someone in the top ten, though. Maybe yeah. Like yeah with maybe. a team in the top ten gets a guy who they didn't expect to be there. Yeah, right. I really hope Jackson Job isn't on Twitter. I feel so bad. For him. <laughs> Anytime yeah, Marcelo Meyer does something, it's just a bunch of Tigers fans. Like, and we got effing Jackson Job, and I'm like, oh, hey, you know what? Poor the, guys trying. Like, the, to be fair, they had no clue Meyer was going to be there at three. They thought there was right. no chance. They had. They made an agreement. They they honored their agreement. That's the thing. Sometimes you know you're gonna we're gonna see this this week is that, um, and we're gonna see this in the draft that sometimes players teams cut deals with players and the, and they they yeah. say you, you literally take... talked about it earlier with Judd Fabian with and Judd the Fabian, right he had a deal with the Orioles yeah. like on the Red Sox and the teams are not the thing about any of those deals whether it's a team that makes the deal or the team that is maybe aware of the deal that a team has with another player there's no obli- no 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 one's under any obligation to agree to that um technically it's not all technically i think by the letter of the law it's not allowed but everyone does it anyway and the tigers had a deal with jackson job and they took him like that was that was part of it and they had they had the reason why they took jackson job was because they had a bunch of extra picks that year and they wanted to spread the money around and that kind of thing and and it ended up it ended up biting them. that's why you should always take the best player available <laughs> um and cutting a deal in the first five picks is risky at best, but it's very possible that that's what the pirates are going to do with the first pick this year. Um, that they, they are concerned about and we're, we're jumping all over the place here, but they're concerned that Dylan Cruz is going to say no, that he's not going to sign with them. Um, that he wants more than the slot. He, the wants, he wants, 10, he wants $10 million. Um, but anyway, didn't Skeens get, didn't one of them hired Boris, right? Skeens or- I haven't seen that. That information I is usually I, not public before the draft, but um, I think I saw some, I think I saw somewhere where one of them was, so let's let's go back and talk a little bit. There's like a couple of other just non uh, as far as the college players, we've talked about most of them that I would see just in terms of high school players that are non shortstops. There's Aiden Miller from Mitchell High School in Florida. Um, he missed a bunch of time with a handmate bone injury this year. If you're obviously Red Sox fans, we know about Yu Chang and the handmate bone that he's been dealing with. I did actually see, and we'll, t- we'll talk about this later that I, I was in attendance on Friday night in, uh, in Manchester and saw Yu Chang and he looked pretty good. Um, but anyway, Aiden Miller, uh, he has major raw power. He is a third baseman. He's not a shortstop. He has the arm and the footwork to play at third base. He'll never be fast, but he's like a pretty good athlete. So that's someone to watch. And then, a non-infielder and a non-outfielder is Blake Mitchell from Stinson High School in Texas, who is possibly going to be the best catcher on the board when the Red Sox pick. I think the high expectation is that the best consensus best catcher in the country, Kyle Teal from uh, Virginia, will go in the first 10 picks. Almost yeah. certainly he could go as high as there's even been some rumblings that maybe the Tigers would take him at three. I've, I've read that. I would be a little bit. Tigers stunned. at three. That figures. <laughs> exactly. Um but I think, you know, maybe maybe he goes to the A's at six or whatever, or he might, might go to the Reds. Um, but um, Blake Mitchell is an interesting prospect. So if we listen to if you listen to another podcast, the Name Redacted podcast with Jerry, Jerry Carabas, Carabas met Blake Mitchell at the draft combine. He raved about him. He said that and I don't know if he, if, if if Jared heard this from uh, from the Red Sox side or from Blake Mitchell's side. But he said that the Red Sox, quote unquote, like the player. And there's been some other smoke around them too. Um, he's a real power hitter. He is a hundred percent a catcher. 
high school catchers are really risky. They're almost as risky an investment of an investment as a as high school pitchers are. So you never really know what's going to happen, but that's an interesting name. And obviously we know that catcher is a long-term position of need. Although there are, we've talked about the interesting catchers at the low levels of the minors for the Red Sox, but a guy like Blake Mitchell would be a stud and would immediately become far and away the Red Sox best catching prospect. So. Although you do see the last two, like the last two lines on MLB pipeline is he'd go easily go in the top two rounds as a pitcher. And it's like, well, he's that either be, gonna, that would be such a that'd be such a high moving thing to do. I feel like just like eh, no, we're drafting him, but let's drafting have him, him pitch. pitcher. Yeah, well, he's either going to pitch or he's going to catch. He's not going to do both. It's not, we're not going to see. We're never going to see a two way no. pitcher and catcher. I don't think we're ever going to see that. That's uh, that I could. Pro- be... I'm going to try that. and will be the show now. Actually, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know, Derek, if you had because like there are. I think we've, we've been almost going an hour on this. So like, I want to talk about the pitching yeah. part of it. And then I think maybe there's a couple of, and I just want to talk about the strategy a little bit that you might see, but, um, and then I, we have, you know, we definitely want to talk about some of the minor stuff too, from last week. So, um, I don't know if you had any other names, at least like around like first round potentially. Yeah. I mean, besides pitchers, not really. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think the main yeah. thing is the pitchers. Yeah. So, like, so let's talk about that. Yeah. Have been mocked. So the Paul Skeens, obviously number one pitcher and, the country, maybe the number one player in the country will go in either, either the first or second. Yeah. He's going to go one or two and he will probably not pitch in the minors and will go straight to the big leagues for somebody. Um, We have not seen a college pitcher like him in a long time. Another sec pitcher is Rhett louder from Wake forest who pitched against Skeens in the college world series. Really exciting. was great pitching matchup. Um, He is probably going to go in the top 10 picks. This would be my guess. He's the next best college pitcher. Then the next two is where it starts to get interesting. And it's Chase Dollander from the University of Tennessee and Hurston Waldrop from the University of Florida. All these are all SEC pitchers. Tells you something about the quality of the SEC. Um, Chase Dollander was coming into this year thought of the way that Paul Skeens is thought of now, where he was the consensus best pitcher in the country. And he was, it was basically, it was like neck and neck with him and in Dylan Cruz as to who was going to go first. It was going to be, the, who was going to be the first player off the board. Um, he had a great seat, great sophomore season for Tennessee. Tennessee had one of the best college baseball teams of all time in 2022 with Drew Gilbert and Jordan Beck and Blade Tidwell and, and all those guys. He was one of the best ones on that team. So this year was a different story for him. He had um, the slider, which was his best pitch really kind of betrayed him this year and it, it, all of a sudden he didn't have the same bite he just didn't have the same command in general like his numbers across the board kind of like ballooned like his era doubled like his number of home runs he gave up doubled the number of number of walks he gave up doubled like all of that stuff he had more strikeouts this year than last year but that's partly a factor of him he pitched a few more innings so a team like the red Sox or any other team is going to have to tell ask themselves who who is Chase Dollander, is he the guy that he was last year? Yeah. Or is he the guy he was this year? And again, do you trust your evaluation of that guy and tell yourself we can make him back into that ace yeah. with, with professional pitching or professional coaching? Um, and we know, again, that pitching is an area of need for the Red Sox. And the, if you look at this current state of the system and the, and what they have drafted and what they ha- what they do have in the system for position players – it made total sense the last few years to shy away from pitchers early because of the fact that you needed to build the system up. Now the system is starting to get built up. Is Bloom? is Devin Pearson, is Paul Deboney, are they more willing to take a risk with that with a pick taking a guy like, like a Chase Dollander 
if he's on the board at 14, which he very well could be. He also might not be. Yeah. Um, he also could, somebody could take him. So it's going to be a very fascinating discussion if he is there and, and they will have a decision to make. I, I think it'll all really rely on, uh, do they, can, have they found the issue? Right. Like, is there something that they've noticed watching him from last year and watching him this year? Like, oh, this is what he's doing wrong. We can fix that. Because if you, I don't know if, especially this front office, this, this draft team, I don't know if they would want to take someone where they're like, okay, we'll take you. And then we have to figure out the problem. I think if they recognize the problem and think, hey, this is something that we will be able to fix with him, or at least we believe we'll be able to fix with him, I think then they might take the chance. But I think if they're kind of going into it blind of, of we'll have to work with you and figure out what's wrong and see if we can get you back to who you are, I, I, it doesn't seem like this is the type of uh, front office that would take that risk. I think they would be more kind of – I agree. They're, they're very conservative in that sense of, of let's – you know, let's go with the safer pick here. And I, I don't know if they would, especially with the pitchers, with how they've been with drafting pitchers, I don't know if they would want to take someone that they don't have a clear fix for. Yeah. But if they do have the fix for him and they can get him back to being the guy that was supposed to be the best player in this draft, that would be wild. Yeah, you have to trust your, yeah, your, if your evaluation of Chase Dollander is, we think that Chase Dollander is an ace or number or or worse, like a number two in the rotation guy, based on what we see and based on what we think we can do with him, then he has to be a serious consideration yeah. to be selected. But and they, it's interesting because yeah. we talked to Christopher Troy before about how much they've worked on analytics now. Yeah. So that might be something that they can do now. Like it seems like they're very into that stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, th- definitely. And I, I think he I mean, he's got a 70 grade fastball, right? Like that's how many guys have a 70 degree yeah. fastball just lying. How many guys are just lying around there? If he's available at the pick, how many other guys just lying around with a 70 degree fastball? Like no yeah. one really. Oh, yeah. There's no question. Not, his, his talent. It's, you know, it's through the roof. So it, it's talent. It's just do the right sides think they can get the talent out of him. I think that's kind of, and get him back to what he was his sophomore season at Tennessee, which is, Tennessee was it Tennessee? No, sorry. yeah, Tennessee. yeah, Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was again. Yeah, they had they had one of the best teams of all time, and he was really the best pitcher on that team. Like he was better yeah. than Blake Tidwell. He was better than Chase Burns. Like he was incredible on that team. Yeah, which is wild considering we knew he had a down year. Which is it's like he's has a down year, still best pitcher yeah. on the team, right? Um, the other pitcher who's could potentially go around that's the Red Sox spot, or maybe it's been mocked a little bit late. A few picks after the Red Sox has been mocked to the Red Sox, I think, once or twice. Uh, Hurston Waldrop, very interesting in terms of, I mean, he has my favorite uh, pitch mix ever, fastball, splitter, slider. I mean, just give me fastball, splitter, and let's ride with it. Um, So part of me wants the Red Sox just to take him just because it's like, yes, get a splitter guy in the system, please, um, because I love my splitters. Um, but the same, I mean, he's a guy who fastball 65 grade splitter, 65 grade slider, 55 grade, big problem control 45 grade mm-hmm. on the control. It's not great. Um, yeah. what do the right sides think they can do with that? Maybe like it's similar to a Dollander. If they think they can get Dollander, if you can get his control back, get his slider back to what it was, you might have an ace with wall, with wall drip, you get the control and you continue to evolve those pitches and get them better. Like maybe you have an ace there too, right? It's just, yeah. Do you think you can do it with the guy? Do you have a fix for him? Or do you think you have a fix for him? That's, I think, what it comes down to with both of them. Yeah, Waldrip, to me, needs needs even more work than Dahlander does. So that's yes. that's a concern. Um, Waldrip has, his splitter is is disgusting. It's, it is 
possibly it's I'd say Skeens' fastball is probably the best pitch in the country last year. I think Waldrop's slider is like pretty close. Uh, or uh, sorry, his splitter. splitter. His, yeah, his splitter is pretty close. The problem with the splitter, like you're talking about, Derek, with his control, the splitter doesn't end up in the strike zone. It ends up out of the strike zone. And if and as as hitters are more advanced as he faces them, they're gonna They'll they're gonna they're, gonna they're gonna stop swinging at it. So, I I like what I well, I think Waldrop is again successful pitcher in the SEC. You can't turn your nose up at that. Um, I think there's a ton of risk that he ends up as a, as a reliever, and he could be a, he could be a nasty closer, especially with that, sl- that with that split. But you're going to take a closer at 14? I don't think so. Not if not yeah, if you think, think so. somebody else is on there. So I I have, but again, if the Red Sox take him, that tells you that they think that that he can be a top of the rotation starter with with the program that they put him on. I have my doubts about Hurston Walter. And then I just want to say for the record that if there is no, this is a bad year for college pitchers. Unfortunately, like this is like, this has been, yes. this is a great draft. It's a great draft for college hitters. A lot of those guys that ended up not go, not uh, deciding to pull themselves out of the draft in 2020 in the pandemic year, guys, that's, that's Dylan Cruz and white Langford and all these guys. Uh, they decided to stay in school and now they're out for the draft this year. So it's a great group of those guys. Um, it's a, it is a really solid call a high school hitter class. It's even a deep, good high school pitcher class too. It is not a good college pitcher class. And um, those four guys that we talked about Skeens, louder, Dollander, Waldrip, there's really not another guy that from a college pitcher standpoint, that if the Red Sox took anybody who wasn't one of those four guys at the 14th pick, I think we would all be pretty justified in wondering like what, like why? I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. It's just that's so they should as much as pitching is an organizational need. They should not reach for a pitcher who's not one of those guys with that pick. Yeah, and it would be a huge the, disappointment the on, if they did. Yeah, the only guy on MLB pipeline that I see that's college that's inside the top fifty that's not those guys is Joe Whitman, left-handed pitcher from Kent State. It's yeah, like, it's like that's yeah that's about it. Like, and there's rumors, there's people who think he might not even go in the top fifty, which right. Yeah. Might not be a lefty college pitcher, which means there wouldn't be a lefty college pitcher in the top right. 50, which is kind of wild. Um, but yeah, no, it's why it's why the only thing I'll say with Waldrop is to, I'm not comparing him to this guy, don't even start thinking that way. But we've seen fastball splitter guys work, also, a guy who has mm-hmm. a slider who the Red Sox did recently, so did recently beat. But I mean, Kevin yeah. Gosman, a lot of people didn't believe in him early in his big league career. And look, I'm not comparing, I'm not comparing at all, but I'm just no, saying, no, fastball splitter, yeah. Sli- it, it, yeah, I mean, anyone with a devastating splitter, I feel like has. The potential to be a good pitcher it's just can you develop everything else around the splitter i think that's right. kind of the big question um do you have any do you have anyone who maybe in maybe not first round pick you just want to give a shout out to or yeah so like let's just talk a little bit about like the the strategy that they might end up employing which is this is kylie mcdaniel mentioned this uh in one of his mock drafts where he said that the red sox are looking at college bats and then they would eventually take some sort of overslot high school hitters later on. Um, I could totally see that happening. I think that they would look at a, at a college hitter like a Tommy Troy or a Matt Shaw or even maybe a Braden Taylor as somebody who would maybe be willing to take a little bit, excuse me, a little bit under the slot of the 4.6 million that they have for that first pick so they could save money later on for prep bats that fall. Um, and Again, the Red Sox have two extra picks this year after the fourth round as a result of not signing Xander Bogarts and, and Nate Evaldi. Um, they're after the fourth round because they were over the CBT last year. Um, 
and they have an extra million dollars of, of bonus pool money as a result. Like basically, those two picks are right around five hundred thousand dollars, and they're back to back or five hundred thousand dollars a piece in terms of the bonus slot, and they're back to back picks. They're one thirty two and one thirty three. Um, so they have extra money to play with. So uh, what I what I think you could see is they take a they they take who they want for a college hitter at the first pick at uh, at fourteen at fifty. I could very easily see them going off the board a bit with another pick. And I can already see what's going to happen now. If Twitter is actually working, if your rate limit is not exceeded, <laughs> it's going to be, people are going to be like, what the hell are they doing? Why did they take this guy 50th who was ranked, who was ranked 210th by baseball America, a name that's been thrown that got thrown out today by uh, Kylie McDaniel in his, uh, um, in his draft guide was uh, Luke Keyshaw. I don't know if I'm saying that name right. It's a second baseman from Arizona State who uh, – Oh, I think is, that sounds nice. I think he's – yeah, there you go. A second baseman from Arizona State. It could yeah, be worse, Dustin right? Although Dustin Pedroia, I don't think, played second base. In he was a shortstop, yeah. He, yeah, yeah but, but still, turned hey, into be a know, Turned into a second uh, baseman, yeah. Close Luke, enough. Luke Keyshaw is ranked 90th by uh, MLB. He is ranked 55th by Baseball America, but he's ranked 90th by MLB, so it would be maybe a little bit lower um, – but again, that's but I can just see people being really annoyed by that pick. And I will just say I'm pre mad about something that hasn't happened yet. But I'm going to tell people. Yes, me too. I'm going to pre tell people to pre chill about it. OK, the reason why the Red Sox would do that with the 50th pick is because they want to float down high school hitters later that they will be able to sign. Yeah. A la what they did last year with Roman Anthony, who signed for like a million seven over slot. So a couple names I'm just going to throw out and I'm going to, I'm going to let, uh, I'm going to let Derek take the big one. And I think he'll probably be the last person we end up talking about. Uh, but just a few names, Ty Pete shortstop from Trinity Christian high school in Georgia. Um, Antonio Anderson, uh, shortstop from North Atlanta in Georgia, Trent Caraway shortstop from J Sarah high school in California. Um, uh, I'll mention Stephen Milam from Centennial High School in in uh, in New Mexico. Uh, Roman Martin from Servite High School. Rock Chal Rock Chalowski, Chal Chalowski. I have not said his name out loud from Hamilton High School. Uh, I don't know if I said C Cooper Pratt from Magnolia Heights High School in Mississippi. Aiden Smith from Lovejoy High School in Texas. Caden Sorrell from Marcus High School in Texas and Nazan Zanatello from Christian Brothers High School in Missouri. So those are names to run that I'm running through that you might you might end up seeing them. They might be names that they end up floating down later. But there's one other guy that I brought up on Twitter that I'll let Derek talk about. Um, so there's a guy who may or may not uh, be a California high school shortstop who is extremely interesting. Um, if you don't know, uh, Boston Barrow. His first name is Boston. <laughs> he is can't a shortstop of California. High school shortstop from California. His first name is Boston. Uh, his family were a lifelong Boston sports fans. I'm assuming he's also a Boston sports fan. Grew up in California. Like born, grew up in California. Yeah, exactly. I feel like you have to take him. Um, the only thing that is a little iffy for me is that I don't love. He was a New Mexico commit. I feel like that's not a super strong commitment. However, they had a coaching change. He decommitted. Now he's committed to UCLA, which I don't love as much. I don't don't like that as much as I like a New Mexico New Mexico right, commit. Yeah. 
Um, Something but at the same play. time, if he is a lifelong Red Sox fan, I mean, maybe he does come, right? And I think he's it's very interesting. Um, MLB Pipeline has him ranked 224. I've seen other places that aren't as um, highly thought of. Well, actually, in the low 100s. Well, so Baseball America has him at 96. So. Yeah, I've seen him in the. So I've seen him in the. Yeah, I've seen him at 96. I've seen so other places. He's on the board. Like, don't, he's on don't, the board. Don't exactly. discount this one, guys. This exactly. Really and I think he's a guy who legitimately, like, <laughs> second round, like, maybe, maybe. he could maybe. be a guy. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he'd be the above the overslot guy. I mean, I could see him maybe being underslot guy if they, well, if they really want to go off the board first. Yeah. yeah. Underslot. Yeah. And that's what I'm thinking. I mean, if they really wanted to get crazy, just take him in the first round for just, just. <laughs> For fun, right? And just have them go like super underslot and they go uh, super overslot, yeah. like your next five picks. Just why not? <laughs> I don't think that's not gonna happen. Just, just yeah. go crazy. Um, but no, uh, he's got. I mean, just fun story. I mean, the guy's named Boston. He's a California high school shortstop. Like, what's not? To, I mean, come, Heim Bloom. This must be your dream. Okay, it happen, Heim. Come on, please, please. Um, please. there's another guy that I do like. I'm not gonna talk about yet. Because we do have a special guest, the prospect after, who mm. is a guy who I didn't do any spinning the wheel. I personally picked this guy because I find him very interesting. I don't know if he's on the Red Sox target list. He's a guy who. Oh, I find so guess the prospect is going to be guess the oh, prospect a, is going to be a, a, a prospect. I feel like a like a, a draft prospect. Oh wow! Yes, okay. uh, might be challenging that one. I think. Well, I'm, I think it's going to be challenging for you. For anyone, I will but, allow you to look at MLB pipelines okay. and draft rankings for this if you want. Very to. well. All right. And um, I just want to say we were talking about the strategy of going uh, under slot early taking. And I know that that's something that maybe a lot of people aren't excited about because you're still thinking like, oh, this guy's a fifth round pick. Like, who cares? There's a lot of great talent that you get later in the rounds. I mean, Shane Drohan, I believe, was a fourth round pick. I know that that's not late, a fifth round pick. I know that's not like super late. Well, it was the uh, last it was the last round that it was the last round of that draft. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and there's a lot of people in the Red Sox system that are later round picks. Uh, someone, a couple people we're going to talk about later, so I, I guess I'll wait for them. But uh, Chris Murphy is in the majors now. He was a sixth round pick. Jaron Duran's been phenomenal. He was a seventh round pick. Cutter Coffey's been awesome. He's a 16th round pick. Brandon Crawford. Walter had a good debut. He was a 26th round pick. Which doesn't uh, exist now. Right. Zach, yeah, Zach Kelly was undrafted. Right. Uh, and then even just some prospects right now, Brian Van Bell undrafted. He's having a great year in double A. Uh, the two top catching prospects in the system are Nathan Hickey and, and Brooks Brandon, fifth round and ninth round. Uh, Philip Sykes, 18th round. Jacob Webb, who's having a really strong year as a bullpen guy. He was a 14th round pick. There's a lot of talent you can get later in rounds. I know that obviously those first first one, two, three picks are like the sexy picks that everyone knows, everyone talks about. But a lot of the times, some of your big contributors aren't aren't known guys. I mean, where would the Red Sox be right now without how well Jaron Duran's been playing? And he's a does anyone want to guy. tell me what round uh, Mookie Betts was picked in? Because was it wasn't the first was, round. I think it was fifth, wasn't it? Fourth or fifth? I don't remember off the top of my head. But no, it definitely wasn't the first or second. <laughs> no, no, I know that was, for sure. It wasn't was the like, third round either. Like, I think it was like fifth round. It's like fifth or sixth or seventh, something like that. Yeah, but yeah, and- not but like not a first round pick. Still turned no. into Mookie Betts, right? Exactly, and you never, you never know. I mean, there's other stories of like guys way back, like you know, Albert Pools was like a 13th round pick. Like you just, you never know what can happen with these guys. And so, if you if you listen to this podcast and you care about 
prospects, you care about Red Sox prospects, you care about prospects in general. The draft is something that is so much fun to follow, so much fun to pay attention to. They've done a better job in recent years of promoting it. It's now the first the first night is on ESPN. Um, you know, the the second day is is on is pretty much you can watch it on MLB Network. Yeah. I think the third day is still all is all online. They used to do when a I, terrible job with all that though. They that used to do a bad job. Awful. It wasn't so. I remember so when I was uh, when I was in high school. So I've, I've told I I've told the story a little bit that I have a friend who I went to high school with who got drafted and played in the majors. Um, I remember the year that he got drafted. The whole draft was still happening pretty much by conference call, but they at least they were they were televising it on MLB.com. And it was like the picks were coming like this, like fast. Yeah. It was no, it was no show like whatever. They would like cut to like a a screen where you would hear somebody on the speaker on like speakerphone making the pick. Like it was hilarious. Uh, and that was 2006. So it just get, goes to show like how long it was. Only a couple years after that that they started doing it at the MLB studio, and yeah, and and it started to gain more popularity. And now obviously they're doing it at the All Star Game. I don't. I don't love that the draft is the same time as happening at like the same weekend as the all-star game. And there's like right before it, it it's it. I wish it was earlier still. Yeah. Um, kind of takes away. Yeah. It, there's more yeah, people I, paying attention to. I, yeah. I wish that it, that the draft had its own like weekend, its own time. Um, you know, it's literally is the same day as the futures game now, which is, which is interesting. Um, but that's tough. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's so I don't love that part of it, but I do love that it's getting more attention and people are paying more attention to it. So, Watch the draft. It will be, it will, it, I promise you that it will be really exciting on Sunday night. Like it will be great television. Um, what's going to happen, especially at the top of the draft. So yeah. uh, I think the only Hunter, argument Hunter just made a face. Did something just happen? Hunter? Your, your Donnie Manegro's curveball was stupid. It's not, it's not a real pitch. It's not a real <laughs> I think maybe pitch, that's man. a good, maybe that's a good, I don't know, Derek, if you had yeah. one last thing. I, I will, I will just say with it being on the all-star break, the only thing I'd say that's positive teams do get more time to scout. So any late risers you could potentially see. Yeah, a um, little all, bit. Yeah. A little but not in the not college, that, especially. Well, yeah. Yeah. And but then also too, uh like you see yes, you have the futures game on Sunday, but like I don't think the be draft isn't at the same time as the futures game. No, know. it's later. No. It'll start, I think, so, it's either seven or eight Eastern. So like it is kind of a big kind of part. And then during the Monday and Tuesday of the draft, like it's the Homer Derby All Star game. There's no baseball during the day. Right. Right. So like your baseball like your legit baseball fans who are going to really tune into the draft, they don't have to be occupied with other baseball games. So I get that. But at the same time, like July, it feels I, to me, it feels too close to the trade deadline. I hear you. Yeah. And yeah, that's a whole other thing is like, it's hard to make trades right now in baseball because of the fact that front offices are really preoccupied with the draft and they are happening. We saw one today that, you know, Mets traded for Chris Flexen and Trevor got from the Mariners, but, um, you know, they do those trades do happen, but it's harder for them to happen because of the fact that uh, teams are very much in draft mode right now. Like this is like the last week before the draft is when they're talking to, uh, especially at the top of the draft, they're talking to the advisors, they're talking to the players, trying to figure out is it realistic for us to be able to draft you and sign, excuse me, and sign you, and what bonus would you want? Like that's that stuff is all happening this week leading up to the draft. So, uh, but anyway, watch the draft. Oh, and I have to plug one thing just quickly. I will, by the time you listen to this on Mon on Wednesday, I will have um, a lot of stuff that we've talked about will be in this. Um, I will have a draft, a Red Sox like draft preview uh, on the site on Beyond the Monster. It will be split up in two parts. The first part I'm planning on posting on Wednesday and the second part I'm planning on uh, posting on Thursday. So please check that out and subscribe to Beyond the Monster, which is awesome. 
You can read Hunter. Yes. <laughs> Definitely do that. Can't read me there yet, unfortunately, but maybe one day. Um, now let's, uh, I think it's a good time now. Let's move into minor leagues. We're an hour and 15 minutes in. A lot of draft talk, but we yeah. still have some minor league talk to you. Since we started with the draft, let's just go up the ladder a little bit in the draft. Let's go to low A first. Um, and low A, we're kind of going to keep it to one guy here at each level. Um, Luis Perales should be mentioned. Had a really, really dominant start. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Jonathan Brand. Obviously, this year has been probably quietly dominant out of the bullpen yeah uh 15 appearances 20 innings of 0.90 era 25 strikeouts only six walks um who wants to take this first yeah so so i i I just think he's a perfect guy to segue in from the draft because like we just talked about with all of these guys who are these unheralded players that you will see get drafted especially in the first 10 rounds where it's an opportunity for the teams to save money so that they can reallocate it to other players from their bonus pool. Jonathan Brand was uh, a senior sign last year. He pl- he uh, played at Miami of Ohio. He was an eighth round pick for the Red Sox, but he only signed for $7,500 of a, of a bonus. Um, and because he was a senior and the Red Sox wanted to save that money so they could give it to Brooks Brandon and, and Roman Anthony. Um, he's not a big guy, Jonathan Brand. He's only five foot nine, but he is, and he's not a super hard thrower either, but he has a really good curveball. And so over the course of this past week, excuse me, he had two saves, 2.1 innings, three strikeouts, one hit. So you never know what you're going to find. Some of these guys can be, can be gems uh, that you find later in uh, that you find at this, that point in the draft, the unheralded guys. He seems like he's got a good arm. We talked about Caleb Bolden last week. Jonathan Brand maybe is another another one that's going to continue to make noise. Yeah, and he and the, as mentioned with the draft, he was an eighth round guy, um, and he actually didn't allow a run in all of June, uh, or an earned run uh, in eight innings in June. He had a zero ERA, and now he's he's got one in a third innings in July. Uh, yeah, he's been untouchable. the The fact that he's only had six walks in in 20, 20 innings is phenomenal, uh, and he's striking out a ton of guys with twenty five strikeouts, uh, and it does seem like they're starting. He's got five saves on the year, but his last two appearances were both saved. So it seems like they're kind of starting to give him that role a little bit. And I can't imagine he's going to be in, in single a for much longer, especially with the draft coming up, they might start. So not immediately, but there will be some guys moving into, into single a. Uh, So I can't imagine he's going to be hanging out there much longer because I not giving up a run in over a month now is, is pretty ridiculous. Uh, it, It doesn't seem like, there's really much of a challenge for him at that level anymore. Yeah. And, and it does kind of really energy to slightly bring it up, but draft strategy. I mean, he was a guy, you know, eighth on draft pick that slot is 173,200 last year where he was picked signed for 7,500, right? Like massive under slot. You might as well just sign it for nothing at that. Point. Like in terms of like the amount of yeah. slot, he didn't really take any. And it does because the Red Sox, they did go over slot Roman Anthony, right? They, they went over slot on um, Brooks Brandon, who was, Funnily enough, the next pick after. Also, Caleb Bolden also signed for seventy five hundred. He was the pick before Brand. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean the, it, the bottom line is that these guys, you know, if they're seniors, they have no leverage. Like it's either exactly okay, like because they, yeah. they could be, they could possibly not get drafted and be an undrafted free agent, which is a bit of a free for all. But at the same time, it's like okay, well, you get drafted. Hey, you want to pitch in the big? You want to eventually pitch in the big leagues? You want to have continue your career? Here's seventy five hundred dollars to live out your dream, but that yeah. but that's what they have to do in order. That's just how it works. Kind of a dick um, move, yeah. but yeah, 
kind of is, but <laughs> it is. But again, like, these guys might not get drafted otherwise. Like that's the thing. Seventy five hundred or nothing. I mean, are, what are you going to take, right? Like, but at the same time, too, like it also shows these guys. I mean, we talked about back to back weeks. That just because they're signed for seventy five hundred doesn't mean they're just nothing, and you throw them to the side. Like they could potentially be guys at the same. Yeah. And I think that's the thing to realize. Like maybe not the most notable guy ever. Only signed seventy five hundred. So what? He's pitching really well, and I think that's all you can really ask for. And, yeah, a little bit older because he's a college senior, but at the same time, no, not everyone debuts in the big leagues when they're 21, 22, 23. Yeah. Some guys may not debut till they're – some guys don't debut till they're, till they're I think, 30. I think right? Jacob deGrom was 26, like, you know. Exactly. And look what he turned into, yeah. right? So, like, it just because the guy, older guy, coming out of college, not, you know, early draft pick, you know, you still might have a guy there. And it seems like the Red Sox potentially have a guy there in Jonathan Brand. And I think that's what makes it exciting, too, especially to low A. Like, I picked Alan Castro as my guy this year. Who knows? Next year, I might pick a guy who only signed for 7,500 and was picked in the eighth round, right? Yeah. Who knows? But I think that's, like, that's the thing. Like, these guys, you might not notice them on draft night, think a lot about them, but you look back in a year or two, and they could be really important pieces in the system. Yeah. And you did, I do just want to quickly say, you did mention uh, Luis Perales. I do just want to say he had a career-high 12 strikeouts this week. Just want to throw that out there in another another shutout five innings, and he's down to a 3-5-4 ERA. So I think he will probably be joining Brand in, in high A soon. I can't imagine either of them are staying much longer. Yeah. Yeah, and if you, you know, I would – Chris Hatfield from Sox Prospects has, has been uh, in person watching uh, Salem when they've been playing – uh they've been playing this week so he's got some good stuff on prowess in there he got some good video of if we're just talking about other guys quickly like brooks brandon hitting his first home run in salem he's up there and then uh just a shout out also to abram leendo who made a ridiculous play behind second base in the game on sunday that made the sports center top 10 i was actually watching it It was after the mets and uh, giants game ended and i saw it and it's like oh salem red Sox on 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 and i was like what and it's you know there it is there's abram leando making this acrobatic crazy catch behind second base in the game on sunday so that that's a pretty cool moment for a guy like him definitely um so i think i think that's good for Lloyd. we don't have a lot of time to like so spent like an hour and 50 minutes on the draft yeah. um, i'll give a shout out to alan castro because i'm the president of the alan castro fan club <laughs> president but i'll just give a little shout out there um let's move to high a uh we'll just go up the ladder go up to high a now um they played Asheville, which hunter probably hates Asheville by I this do. point i do hate um, Asheville. <laughs> <laughs> although they did have some they had a pretty good week there they went four and one previously to tonight um they're they are playing right now or at least i hope they are <laughs> yes yes um Alex jordan Arrow. has two hits and a homer so there you go uh, we are going to talk about Alex Arrow. Five, he went, I don't even know if I wrote a five or a six, but five or six for 14 because I can't read my own handwriting. Um, I had double, two homers this week, four walks to no strikeouts. Also stole a base. Um, so I'll go back to you, Hunter, on this. Uh, thoughts on Arrow and his week and even his season, if you want to. Yeah, uh, he's. I think he's an incredibly underrated guy. Uh, actually, speaking of drafting, he got drafted as a middle infielder, uh, 17th round. Yeah, 17th round. Uh and they converted him to a catcher. Uh, and he's a, he's a, it's one of those things where, like, as a middle infielder, he was kind of a fringe athlete. Uh, you put him at catcher, and he's a phenomenal athlete for the position. Uh, he also does play first base. Um, but decent arm. You know, I think he's someone that could play back there. I, I like he's, He probably won't ever be phenomenal, but he's a, a solid catcher. 
and I think he has one of the better just like pure hit tools in this system. I don't think he's ever really going to be much of a power guy. He did have a massive game this week where he had two homers, eight RBIs, but as anyone uh, that knows Asheville will tell you, two things about them. One, they don't stream their games, which will forever piss me off. And two, they uh, play in a little league ballpark. It's absurdly small. Uh, so he had a game this week, two homers, eight RBIs. You could say maybe it was just because he was there, but you still have to put the bat on the ball. You still have to hit it a little bit of a distance. Uh, I can't give you the exact numbers. Maybe they were 400 foot homers. Maybe they were 298 foot homers, but uh, he's got a 300, 392, 438 slash line on the season, only four homers, but he's driven in 24 runs, scored 25 more. He's stolen seven bases. Uh, he's walked almost as many times as he struck out 20 walks to 24 strikeouts. Uh, I just think he's a really good, uh, like, like I said, he's a pure hitter. I think he's a really good middle of the road type of guy where like, I don't think fans are ever going to get super excited about Alex zero. If he, if he keeps moving up the, the ranks and gets into double a triple a, whatever, but he's someone that could, if he makes it to the majors, he'll he'll never come up with all this hype or anything. But he I he would be someone that I think would contribute nicely. Uh, he, like I said, he puts the bat on the ball. He he draws his walks. He gets on base. Three ninety two on base percentage is fantastic. Um, and he gives you that extra athleticism from the position. So even if he's not hitting a ton of homers, he might get you a couple infield singles that basically any other catcher is not going to get you. He'll steal some bases. He'll play decent defense back there, and that athleticism can help him make some plays. He's got the flexibility of playing first if you want him to. Uh, I think the the middle infield position that's he's he's done with that. But uh, somebody that I think has been underrated for a while now, and it was good to see him have a, a really good week and kind of try to get himself on the map a little bit more because he's been consistently hitting. Basically, since last year, he's just he's had uh, he hasn't really played in many games the last three seasons. Uh, injuries, depth, uh, just there's been so many different things that have kind of held him back. But he's getting decently consistent playing time at the moment, and he's really taking advantage of it, which is awesome to see. Derek playing to type. He changed his Derek changed it. You won't see this on it's on the live stream. He changed his name on the screen to president of the Alan Castro fan club. He's doesn't, uh, he is committed to the bit and I appreciate it. Um, where, I, where, where's, where's my president of the Alan Castro fan club merch. Come on. <laughs> Let's go. Come on. <laughs> I don't have a ton to add on Alex arrow. It's, it, it's really interesting to see the guys that they're trying out at catcher guys who are not maybe necessarily, you know, this is a thing of, that teams have to consider, especially considering how hard it is to get, good catchers um and define them is try guys who you think are athletic enough to be able to handle it and and it seems like that that's what they're doing with arrow and it's great to see and it's great to see that his offense has kept up as a result um so i'll just mention just a couple of other guys in greenville really quickly um another amazing start for for wickleman gonzalez who again if we're talking about guys moving up the cascading effect yeah not really sure how much more wickleman gonzalez needs to be in in greenville Five innings, ten strikeouts, three walks. Five, five and two thirds innings, ten strikeouts, three walks, one hit. Um, he has eighty-three strikeouts and twenty-four walks in forty-nine innings, forty-nine and third innings since May first. So, um, just crazy. Good start, also from Angel Bastardo. Was another guy that's a little bit quiet. He's been kind of 
not like super consistent, but he's definitely taken a step forward this year with his stuff. Seven strikeouts and five innings, two walks, five hits. And then Bradley Blaylock, who had kind of a little bit of a bad, had a bad first start with Greenville, really bounced back his second start. Great to see six innings, five hits, one run, uh, no walks, uh, four strikeouts. So good to see that. Good to see that for for, uh, for those guys in Greenville continuing to pitch well. Yeah, and a little concerning. I don't know if something's wrong with him. Uh, Again, they don't stream the games, and they're not great with uh, talking about injuries and stuff, but Roman Anthony hasn't played for four games now. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see if that's anything significant. I feel like usually if it's something significant, we hear about it. Um, The Sox prospects guys will, will... We'll have it. Um, you know, I maybe they know they don't stream the games there, so they don't want to have them play <laughs> at a crappy field where they don't stream. Yeah, I will just say, like, you know, I we're going to talk about this at the next level. Portland, I want to shout out our our buddy Ian Kendall um, from Sox Prospects. I got I uh, went up to him and chatted with him uh, at the game uh, in in Manchester on Friday, and uh, had a great conversation with him. Really appreciated uh, the time uh, the time and. Uh, mentioned him that hopefully we're going to get him back on the show again later this season. But uh, he, he, we talked about Roman Anthony for a little bit and he didn't bring up anything about that. He had heard that there was any kind of an, uh, a serious injury issue with, with him. Um, obviously that was Friday and he had, had not, he had played the day before Thursday. So um, we'll wait and see. It, yeah. I did notice that today. I thought it was a little odd. I it realized that he hadn't played since Thursday, but there he hasn't, he's missed four games in a row, but, could be just a maintenance thing. They don't want it to get worse. There's we've talked about this a lot with guys getting hurt in the minors. There's no reason to push guys yeah. for any any yeah. reason if they have anything going on. Especially a guy, you don't want to do it with anybody, but you especially don't want to do it with guys that are your like actual like prized prospects. So yeah, we'll wait and see. I just we'll, slept on the wrong side of the bed, but easily. came up a little, maybe a little bit yeah, sore, and just like yeah, now take yeah. it easy, right? Like it literally could be something as small as that, or yeah. or you know, guys, you know, you wake up and your neck's bugging you. And it's just right. like you slept like slept wrong. It's just like, yep, chill. Um, wasn't like Adrian Gonzalez famous for that? Yes, yes. I think he did that a couple <laughs> times where it was literally, yes. oh, his neck hurts because he's. Why am really I not bad. shocked that it was Adrian <laughs> Gonzalez? Yeah. Anyway. Yes, uh, I think I think that's good though for uh, high A. Well, no, uh, Alan Castro to talk about. So I'll move up to Double A now. Um, let's talk about Nico Cavadas. Uh, I feel like. It feels like it's every once once in however many or whatever. I look at Nico Cavadas' slash line, and the batting average is like 100, and the on-base percentage is like 1,000, it feels like. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like, not 1,000, but you know what I mean by it. Yeah. It's like not, like this week, I think he hit like 190, and he had like a four-something on-base percentage. It's just like, that's Nico Cavadas for you. And he yeah. also hit a home run this week. Two for 12, one of those guys was a home run. Struck out four, five times, only walked. Uh, you know, struck out only five times, walked four times. That's Nico Cavadas for you, right? First baseman, powering first baseman, draws his walks, going to strike out, going to hit for power. How many times is he going to make contact with the ball? That's a little bit of a question mark yeah. for some. But, I mean, you know what you're getting from him at least, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's weird. Like, yeah, if you look at his recent stats, he is, I think it looks, it looks like eight of his last nine games, he's drawn at least one walk. Um, he's drawn, he drove two walks in a bunch of those games incredibly patient hitter, very smart hitter, but yeah, his season line is a 205 batting average, but he has a 394 on base. <laughs> it's really, it's definitely like Joey Gallo territory. Um, he had an absolute moonshot home run on Sunday night in, in Manchester. Um, 
you know, just a really, really, uh, just, you know what his power is, you know, yeah. what, how he's going to, what he's going to do. But, you know, the issues with him are, you know, strikeouts, a lot of strikeouts, and then, you know, a pretty big, a huge platoon split. And he's a guy that's not really going to probably, if he gets up to the big leagues, he probably will not be in the lineup against lefties hardly at all. Um, you know, he has a 248, 450, 537 against righties and an 078, 200, 098 against lefties this year. He has four hits in 51 at-bats and 25 strikeouts against lefties. So um, things to just be to watch for with him. But again, his power is real. If he gets a pitch, he's going to not hit it really far. (laughs) Yeah, I I do think that there's – he he will eventually be a major league player. Uh, I do think, like you said, it will be a a limited role, which – it's it's not bad to have a, a left-handed guy that can mash against right-handed pitching. There's a lot of yeah. right-handed pitching. Um, but hanging with the draft, he was an 11th round pick. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's a guy that, you know, later in the draft had a massive year last year and all of a sudden became a lot of fans one of their favorite prospects to talk about because he was consistently hitting 450-foot homers. And it is, it is crazy to see uh, because he strikes out so much and a 205 batting average, but getting on base nearly 40% of the time is fantastic for anyone. So it's that weird area where you have to kind of like decide, is it, is that bad average? Like, can that on base percentage stay? Can he keep getting on base? Because then you can kind of ignore Like obviously a 205 batting average isn't great, but if you're getting on base nearly 40% of the time, who really cares what you're hitting? Especially if you're, if half the time your hits are going 450 feet. Uh, so there's a lot of question marks with Cavadas. Uh, you know, the, there's the hole in his bat. He's not a great defender. Uh, he's never going to add anything speed-wise. But is that on-base ability and the home run power, is that enough to kind of negate the rest? Uh, I think that that's something that I think the second half of the season is going to be really important for him. Can he kind of – like, I again, I don't think anybody expects him to – all of a sudden become this great contact guy and get his average back up to 260 and stop striking out. But can he consistently hit you home runs? Can he consistently get on base? Maybe get that average a little bit up there. Maybe drop the strikeouts a little bit because if he continues to just kind of be a home run or bus guy, that's going to create problems where like the first month of the season, he didn't hit a homer. And it was kind of, it got to the point where I was like, is he playable? Because he was getting on base like he still had a a, a, thir- a three uh, like a three eighty on base percentage, but with zero homers and a, a hundred something batting average, is that worth it? Because now you're not getting anything outside of getting this very slow guy on first base. How much is that helping you? So can he add something more than just hitting you those home runs? Because there is a, an obvious future there with how good of a uh, of a home run hitter he is and how good he is at getting on base but if he doesn't add anything else to his game that's going to really limit him uh so it's good to see when he does hit i mean like you mentioned the home run he hit this week was absolutely absurd it went over the over the scoreboard but can he give you more than just those occasional monster home run highlights yeah yeah definitely i think i think that's really the thing with him it's you know, he can't just hit home runs. He, like, he, he and he's never going to hit for hit for a high average. Like, you, I don't think we're ever going to see Nick Cavadas go, yeah, he's going to hit 300. No, we're never going to see that. I mean, 400 on base, I mean, maybe not, but he might be around it at some, like, you know, yeah. 
rounded this year, right? Yeah. But uh, like that's the thing with him. It's going to be all about how much can he get on base and when he gets, you know, Triple A MLB. Does that power show up often enough? Can he hit the ball enough to have the power play? Yeah. I think that that's going to be the real big question because there is a hole in the swing, like you said. There is swing and miss there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so if we're done with talking about Nico, Nico Nukes, uh, we love Nico Nukes. We do. He's 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 fun. He's a fun guy to watch. Like, yeah. Honestly, no matter what. Um, so I, as I mentioned, I was at the game games on Friday. It was kind of a cool, you know, like the the. I know you know we talked about there was a bunch of rain on Thursday last week and a bunch of games were on it rained out. Or, or I think it was Wednesday actually. Uh, I was the beneficiary of that because I got to see two games on on uh, on Friday. So. Um, I mean, the big thing obviously was getting to see Marcelo Meyer in person for the first time, uh, hopefully the first time of many times and everything they say about him is so true. He's so smooth. He makes such good con. He makes, you know, great contact. He has a great approach at the plate. He made all the plays at shortstop. He, uh, he cut a guy down at home, uh, on a relay, which was a really nice play. It was not like he had the guy out by a few steps, but, um, you know, he just turned around and made, made a really nice relay throw home cut a guy out made like i said made all, made pretty much all the plays he had like one cutoff throw to third base that he like airmailed that that was backed up by the pitcher that was the only miscue that i saw him make he didn't have like a he had he had a i saw him get a single on a ball that landed kind of in front of the left in front of the right fielder that i think the right fielder may have lost in the sun he also almost hit a home run uh to the opposite field that just barely missed being going out it was a um excuse me it was a foul ball he had a double late in the second game that I actually didn't see. We, we ended up going home with uh, that game went to extra innings. So it was a long day. It was a lot of baseball, um, but amazing to see him in person. And he's, he turned at least one, maybe a couple of really good double plays with Nick York. And it was fantastic to see, um, you know, Corey Rozier is really fast. That was one other thing that stood out. Uh, loved seeing him. Um you know, Nick York had a little bit of a rough couple games, a lot of a lot of swing and miss strikeouts, but he did have one really nice hit where he took kind of an in, he took an inside fastball at like ninety four and like had to put a nice inside out swing on it and hit it out to hit it to right field for a base hit, which was nice to see. Um, but the name that I wanted to certainly wanted to make sure I mentioned that I saw was I got to see our guy CT, um, and. He struck out the side. Now he did give up a kind of a, 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 a rocket like single up the middle that actually almost hit him, which after this whole Tanner Houck fiasco was, was kind of scary to see, but, um, and then he gave up a double that if we're being honest, like it was hit pretty hard out to the wall in left field, but Tyler Dearden probably should have caught it. But, uh, so he had guys on second and third and he had to bear down, uh, CT did, and he struck out the last guys, but man, he, that, that guy's nasty. Like, honestly, yeah. the, the pesky bump is real again. Continue. We continue to say this, uh, but you know, he's throwing, he's getting up to like 97 and coming in with a, just a nasty hook, um, making guys look silly. He's, yeah. I, he's, I know it's, uh, yeah, I know it's might seem weird to have a lot of relief pitchers in like a top 30, but I think he's a top 30 prospect in the system. Yeah. I know that it's hard to like, Oh, well this guy's just, you know, he's a middle reliever. What, but it, his stuff's disgusting, and I, I think that there's definitely something there with him, and I think he's someone that could could fly up a lot of people's rankings. Agreed. Definitely. Um, let's move to AAA now. We're going to talk about Kyle Bar- 
Is it Baraclaw? I don't I can't even say it. Barak Barak. I've never said his Baraclaw. name out loud before. Baraclaw? Baraclaw. Baraclaw. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever your uh, Kyle. Um there we go. Went five innings. Um screw your last name. It's too many letters for me. Um he had only gave out two runs, just two strikeouts, two walks. Um, potential MLB option. Well, I shouldn't even say potential. He is an MLB option. Yeah. Um, but potentially could see him in the big leagues sometime, somewhat soon, maybe after the All-Star break. Some maybe even think before. I don't think that. Um, I'll go to Jake. Thoughts on his start in AAA? And he's made two starts so far in AAA for the Red Sox? Yeah, he's made two starts so far. Yeah, Ten, 11 innings. Um he does only have four strikeouts, uh, but, you know, obviously only two earned runs. He hasn't given up a home run. He has six walks. So not like amazing stuff, but the fact is that the Red Sox are really, um, are really thin on starting pitching right now. Uh, Garrett Whitlock, this is, we're recording this Monday. He had an MRI on his elbow. It sounds like it's nothing too serious or there's no structural issues, which is great news, but he is going to be on the IL again. Yeah. And who knows how long that's going to be. I have a feeling that they're going to want him to take as much time as he needs to be fully healthy before he comes back. So could be a little while for him. We obviously know about Chris sale. We know about Corey Kluber. We know about, uh, you know, Tanner Houck is coming back from, you know, he probably is a few weeks away from coming back after getting hit in the face with a line drive. So basically we have James Paxton and we have Brian Bayo and we have Cutter Crawford and that's, that's pretty much it. So I think that there's a very good chance we're going to see Kyle Baraclaw come up and pitch in the big leagues probably relatively soon just because they need him. And he's looked good enough in, in triple a. Yeah. It's fascinating. We talked about him, I think just in the group chat a little bit about how this year he was pitching in independent ball. um, And he had made seven appearances in independent ball before he signed with the Red Sox. He had made two starts. It's really fascinating just to see a guy at, you know, he's 33 years old, remake himself completely as a pitcher. He has pitched, he has thrown, uh, He's appeared in 288 games in the big leagues. He has never started a game. He has he has 11 saves, but he's never started a game ever in the big leagues. And so the Red Sox need the help, need whatever help they can get. And I think that there's probably there's no there's no reason not to expect that he would be part of the mix. Um, you know, and I think that we also, you know, uh, you know, uh, we we have to talk a little bit about uh, Denilson Lamette too, who the Red Sox signed from the Rockies, who he has not pitched in Worcester yet, but the Red Sox were really hot to trot on getting him after he got DFA'd by the Rockies. And, you know, Pedro Martinez reached out to him directly and he talked to Eddie Romero and he talked to Dave Bush and um, the Red Sox believe that they can fix him. He has yeah. been, he has a very talented pitcher. He throws very hard. He's we've seen him pitch really well in the big leagues and who knows how long he's going to need in AAA, but that's a guy that you could see too. Yeah. But, but and if, got, and if Pedro him. tells you he thinks he can help, that you listen and you yeah, give it a chance. Exactly. So Barrack, but Barraclaw is probably closer to being able to help the Red yeah. Sox. And I think you could see him helping them sooner rather than later. Yeah. And he, I mean, again, you mentioned how he's a, a career reliever, but he has a decent track record in the majors. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's very different being a guy that's getting one, maybe two innings a game and then trying to get a, get five innings out of him. But like the overall numbers are really solid. He's got a, a three, six, one ERA. He's got a, a one, three, six, three whip. Like they're not these eye popping numbers, but it's something where it's like, okay. And I mean, 
he did pitch in the majors in 2020. I know we, we mentioned how he was uh, independent ball earlier this year, but like, it's not like he's five years removed from the majors and they're trying to see if he can work his way back up there. Like he's, he consistently pitched in the majors from 2015 till 2022. Uh, so at barring the 2020 season, but uh, so he he's had a lot of MLB experience. He's been decent in that experience and it's relatively recent. Uh, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend like he's going to be this, this he's going to come in and become an ace or even like a really good pitcher for the Red Sox. But I understand why they're turning to him, why they might be turning to him and think that he could be someone that, that could give them a couple innings every five days, every six days and help until everyone else returns because he's has a decent track record in the majors. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I don't really have anything to add. Plus we've gone long enough, um, but we do have guess the prospect um, and it's a special draft edition of guess the prospect. This is a guy I've All handpicked. Right. Um, I allow you guys to look on MLB pipeline, look throughout their 250 <laughs> players, because there's a gazillion guys that I can pick. So you can look through them. Um, so we'll start with this. This player is 21 years old. Okay. This player <laughs> stands at six foot one. And is okay. listed at 170 pounds. Okay. And this player has a 45 hit tool. Also has a 45 power tool. This player has a 65 run tool. Uh, you're talking about Maui Ohuno, the shortstop from the Tennessee Volunteers. Yes, I am. And the reason why he is of nice. interest to me, because one, he's from Hawaii. Cool. That's cool, first yep. of all. Um, second, your name his name's Maui. Like Maui. that's cool. Um also interesting, but he was at Kansas in 2022, uh, which that was gonna be my hit my hint kind of after all the tools. I also had 60 arm tools, 60 field. Um sounds great. Um in Kansas in 2022, 53 games, he hit 396 with a 479 on base and a 634 slugging. Um, he had 16 doubles, four triples, eight homers, um, 13 stolen bases. I know it's Big 12, not SEC, uh, but oh, some people thought he maybe could have been a first-round pick last year. Ends up transferring to Tennessee, doesn't play the first couple of weeks of the season, eventually is able allowed to play because of the NCAA rules for transferring, whatever, however it works. Um, 53 games, 312, 425, 537, 962 OPS. So a little bit worse numbers. Um, still ha- had 20 doubles, one triple eight homers. Um, only four stolen bases, though. Um, I think the big thing this year is he struck out a lot more. He did have nine more walks, 37 walks, but he went from 49 strikeouts to 77 strikeouts. Is that because of the SEC? Maybe. Um, but definitely a lot of people from a lot of people seem seemingly just agree he had a worse year this year. Yeah. Um, but interesting guy who can play shortstop, left-handed hitting shortstop. I know another one, but at the same time, like definitely not first round pick. Definitely not. But yeah. college guy had success with Tennessee. Has had I think his sophomore is probably better than his junior year. Still only twenty-one. It's interesting. Don't think the Red Sox. I don't think the Red Sox end up picking him. But I, th- I just think he's an interesting guy. Plus, I mean, the guy's name is Maui. Like, Maui. can you he, not like I, that? I think he is a. It would definitely be a possibility at at fifty. But you know, it would probably be somebody they could look to, um, 
save some money on. I the thing that would concern me and the reason why I don't know that the Red Sox would go that road is just the hit tool is you know exactly. 45 is 45. They can that's not the type of guy that they tend to go after, but he is a yeah. very uh very accomplished college player and he will yeah. I'm sure he will go somewhere in probably the second, third round, somewhere in there. Well, yeah. Only the pipeline has him ranked forty eighth. I've seen other places have him ranked like down on the one hundreds. Uh like, baseball America has him seventy fourth. So. Yeah, I've seen other places that you know, not I've looked kind of all around. I've looked at also places that don't have as like aren't as well known, but still do like mock draft yeah. or do still do rankings. And I've seen him in like the one hundred. So it's he's a little all over the place, but I think that and, goes right with how how we were talking about how unpredictable the draft is, though. Like yeah. we we've talked about a lot of prospects where it's like, oh well, these guys have him at two hundred fourteen, and then Baseball America has him at ninety four. You know, like yeah, two twenty four. Oh, there's a huge six for Boston. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's a huge uh, variance. I, I I try to put together a spreadsheet for the draft that I haven't I haven't finished it yet. I'm I still have actually a lot of work to do on it. Like where I try to look at like, you know, who ranks where, and it's and just to have it to refer to to the night of the draft. Yeah, and yeah, there are some guys that it's like, uh, I'll try to find an example. Like, there's there's one guy. Yeah, uh, Aiden Smith, who I think is a high school hitter. Yeah, he's a high school hitter. MLB pipeline has him 78th and baseball America has him 269th. <laughs> you know, it's like, Holy it's crazy smoke. though. It's yeah, crazy. Like what, what is the difference that those two places saw in him or yeah. the people around him that they have such a yeah. shocking. I mentioned it. Yeah. In Smith is a high school. I actually mentioned him as maybe as somebody who the Red Sox, if they like him later, because he has a 55 hit tool, like um, outfielder from, from uh, Texas. But yeah, there's a, there is a wide variance of opinion about Aiden Smith and there's a lot going to be, you're going to definitely see that on draft night too. So yeah. Like, like Boston bar, who we brought up California first time person in Boston, like MB pipeline two twenty four, And you said, yeah. as a baseball America, you said you had him 96, 96. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's outrageous. So. Like, but it happens, right? It does happen. <laughs> it, feel, yeah. it does happen. Uh, so I think it all comes down to where do the teams rank these players and right. how do they feel about them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap this thing up? Uh, watch the draft. It'll be fun. Um, next week, uh, next Wednesday, when you hear us next time, it will probably be another different episode than normal. Um, ideally, fingers crossed, we have, hopefully we'll have a guest. And then the week after that, uh, after the dra- after the the All Star game, after the draft, there'll probably be a, we'll we'll do a little bit of a, probably a little bit of a draft recap, but we are planning to have uh, his lord, his, our, lo- our lord, uh, his Majesty Ed Hand, uh, the king the king of the of the Red Sox uh, Twitter personality dra- uh, bracket. Which Hunter, good luck, thank you, proud. We're all voting for Hunter. I just want I just don't want to get embarrassed. We think the goal. We're, we we believe that Edit will be coming on that to do. We're going to try to do some like midseason awards, uh, for 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 the prospects of the season. And then yeah, we'll probably do a little bit of a draft re- draft recap as well. So, look out awesome. for that. All right, I, great to wrap it up. Yes, watch the draft, please. Um, so you're not totally blind when we start talking about it in a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, for Jake, for Honor. I am the president of the Alan Castro fan club. <laughs> My name is Derek. Thanks Hail for tuning to the Pesky Report, and we'll see you next time.